The Pat Kenny Show with Matter Private Network on News Talk. So, in the past while, there's been SARS, MERS, Zika, West Nile, COVID 19, now monkeypox, a resurgence of polio. And if you think, well, um, is it possible that something is driving what appears to be a lot more diseases than we had in recent years? The answer may be yes, and it may be climate change. Professor Luke O'Neill is with us. Luke, how does climate change feed into disease prevalence? Well, it's another thing to worry about, sadly, Anthony, in a way. Like climate change, we worry about, you know, the ice caps melting, don't we? And the forests all dying. But guess what? Infectious diseases are going up as well because of climate change. And it's a massive study, very impressive, I must say, from my scientific uh, uh, friends, I guess. Uh, 218 infectious diseases have gone up in incidence and and, and um, severity and they reckon it's because of climate change because the global temperature rises and that seems to promote some of these infectious diseases. So because the diseases survive better in warmer temperatures or because there are changes in the ecosystem that fosters their growth? Yeah, it's, it's quite complicated inevitably. I think they identified 10 reasons first of all, right? Now the 77,000 publications were examined. It's a huge tour de force of scholarship I guess. It's various things. One is often we catch things from animals obviously and the dreaded COVID from bats, for instance. So bats are moving into new terrains because the climate has changed, if you like, and it's warmer or whatever. The bat can live now somewhere else and now it begins to live in that new area and then someone might catch it off a bat. But the, the best example is Lyme disease. You may have heard of that, Anton. That, that's caused by a tick. And these ticks live on little rodents and then the tick bites you and a bacteria in the tick then causes Lyme disease, which, by the way, is an awful disease. It's like arthritis. It's, you know, fatigue, all kinds of things. And desperately difficult to diagnose And very well. hard to treat as well. But yeah, and the, and you get the kind of long consequences of Lyme as well. And what's happened is the, the range of the animals now has increased and, and now the animals are moving into new areas. The, the really worrying one from this study was you can get Lyme disease in, in Nova Scotia, it was reported, for instance, that was formerly too cold a place to get Lyme but because of global warming. And the sli- a tiny increase in temperature seems to foster this. Now there's incidences of Lyme disease happening there, you see. So, so one of the big reasons is, you know, the animals that we catch things off, if you like, are moving into other areas and now us humans are now encountering them. Although it has to be said, we still still do live in a glorious period when it comes to capacity to prevent and treat disease. When you look back at the death numbers from Dublin in the late 1800s and the prevalence of diseases that are now known but almost non-existent. I mean, measles wiping out thousands of people, polio killing hundreds. Yeah. We're still a lot better than we once were. Well, it was the greatest cause of death uh, before the great advent of antibiotics for bacterial disease and then vaccines, of course. Before that happened, you were, you were more likely to die of an infectious disease than anything else. It was number one in the top in the list of reasons to die, if you like. You know. But those, those medical advances, of course, change that picture entirely. But but this is a concerning report, obviously, because you don't want to be catching many of these diseases. Can you imagine? Two, as I say, 218 of them. Now, it is things like Lyme. It's um, it's various uh, mosquitoes, famously, is the other one. Antungus mosquitoes will move now into areas where they wouldn't otherwise have been. And malaria is the big one there. And there's still no vaccine for malaria, really. And it's quite hard to treat still, you know. There's a thing called dengue, which is another mosquito-borne disease as well. Oh, that West can Nile, be nasty. Zika. West Nile is the big one, yeah. And what they've shown as well, Anton, which is really great science, the slightly increased temperatures means that the mosquito is more active for longer in its life cycle. And, and this study cites a paper showing since the 50s and now they're 39% more active. Now what does that mean? They're living for a bit longer, they're more likely to be flying around, I suppose, and therefore transmitting more, you know. So therefore, what we, we conclude from that is you've doubled your risk of malaria in a way from mosquitoes if, if, that, if those numbers hold up because the mosquitoes are more active, you see. So again, that's another reason why we may see an increase in, in these insect-borne diseases because the insects are more active because of global warming. And is the is the the panacea 
only a reduction in climate temperature or is there anything else that can be a, a one-size-fits-all prevention? Well, it's, the, the, it's an, another reason to stop global warming for definite, right? And they make this point very clear in the, in the paper, by the way. The, the, the COVID, I, I hate to mention it again, Anton, I know, I know we're sick of it, but the current estimate is that COVID has cost the US $16 trillion economically, the US alone, $16 trillion is the cost of COVID. Now, can you imagine if some of these diseases, and, and, and it could be another coronavirus, or maybe the current ones we have causing more illness and economic damage. You know, the, the economic cost of this is, is significant. So it's yet another, as well as the suffering, of course, for humans. So it's another reason, Ben, as if we, don't, as if we needed one, to slow down the global warming, because this increase in temperature will mean increased infections and increased diseases. Can you explain something to me? Because I, I, we'll try to avoid mentioning the C word too much, because I, yeah. I think there is, you're dead right, everybody is very literally sick of it. But when you look at the list of diseases, Zika is case in point. There was a time when Zika was a huge concern. People were changing their travel plans. There were awful instances of children being born with huge deformities as a function of it. SARS likewise. I remember the when SARS first broke out, I was, believe it or not, the first person to report in Ireland on ah, it from Singapore. And at the time it was, what is this mystery disease? Huge panic. And now we moved on like it was nothing. What is it that causes those diseases to slide away? Is yeah. it just that we get bored and stop reporting or do they actually change in how they're affecting people? Well, here is the beauty of the immune system, if I can give it a plug my own area. So we, we evolved immune systems to kill off these germs, remember? So if a new germ emerges in a population, and it can be animals or humans, you know, the immune system kicks in and gets rid of it. And then you have memory, remember? The immune system remembers and if it comes back, it's killed quickly as well. So you see no disease anymore because the immune system is eliminated and protects you into the future because the that's the beauty of the immune system. It's got a thing called memory. So the immune system is one reason why these things go down. Now, there, sadly, though, a certain number will die and get very sick, you see. And by the way, evolution will, will make sure the ones who've got the right genes will survive and some are resistant. And then our, 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 our bodies, in many ways, are the consequence of all these rounds of infection, you see. So the immune system, first and foremost. And then secondly, of course, the treatments, clearly. You can give antivirals or vaccines. And that's, that's, that's the technological way uh, to stop these things happening. Now, my understanding was that that was the case. The thing that seemed to make COVID slightly different was all of this discussion about long COVID. So the, the process that you go through to get that immune response, in one way it's positive, but in the other, it increases your list, uh, your risk of having a, a legacy chronic problem thereafter. Is that the case with all disease? Many. Lyme disease is the one we discussed earlier, and that's a hugely chronic disease, for instance. It looks like most viral diseases, in, in some people, not everybody, of course, will cause the immune system to, to be activated and then go off kilter. And now it's burning away for years, they think, and causing these symptoms that persist, you see. And evolution wouldn't care about that necessarily because, you know, you're still alive, let's put it that way, and you might well pass on your genes then as a result, you know, and it's fine, but it's still it's very debilitating, isn't it? So most, a lot of infectious diseases in a subset of people, if not everybody, will have long-term consequences. A, a big one being heart disease, for instance. One cause of heart disease, by the way, they reckon, is a prior infection of some kind, putting pressure on the heart. And that might emerge years later, you see, but the heart being slightly sort of compromised, I guess. So there's lots of studies on post-infection consequences. How come diseases <clears throat> don't select for age the way things like uh, genetic problems do? So that, for instance, you tend to get cancer later in life because the people evolutionary who got it earlier in life died out and they didn't get to pass on their genetic makeup. Diseases don't seem to be that selective, as in when you look at the deaths through measles and polio and smallpox and all of those, they affected the young, in some cases disproportionately compared to the old. Yeah, but the young, of course, are naive to the nasty germ and their immune system has to be woken up to it, you see, and then fight it. And sadly, some of the young, young immune systems are too immature and then sadly the, the babies die, you 
you see is the way they think of it. But as you get older, remember, the immune system goes off the boil. And we know this because of COVID is the big one. Let's face it, that's a disease of ageing, really. As you get older, your immune system, like most parts of your body, begins to sort of disintegrate, if you use that word. Um, and then you're more susceptible in a way. So there's, there's definitely an ageing component overall to infectious diseases. And to what extent is the immune system inherited from the mother at birth? If at very, all? very much. Well, first of all, you, you inherit your genes from your parents, of course. And if they've survived the infection, they might have the right genes. Now they're in your system and you'll survive the infection as well is the first thing. But fantastically, Anton, mother's milk is a fantastic liquid. It's full of antibodies, which which the mother gives to the baby to protect the baby because the baby's immune system hasn't really started. So the mother is passing on antibodies to all the things the mother has seen or the vaccines the mother's taken, of course, by the way. Antibodies will protect the little baby until its own immune system kicks in. So. Do, they pr- do they protect the baby while they are present in the milk within the child or do they move into the child's bloodstream and become permanent? No, no, it's, it's called passive immunity. It's a bit like we use antibodies as a therapy in COVID in a way. You may have heard about these antibodies are injected into people as well. It's like that was a natural way. To it. It's called passive immunisation is what we call this, by the way, because the baby's just lying there absorbing the antibodies passively and now the, the baby has these great weapons, hasn't it? As a function of these, breastfeeding. As a function, that's one of the reasons why um, evolution in action. Evolution built in milk to be a fantastic fluid to protect babies from infection you see until the baby's own immune system can kick in you see so it's a good example isn't it Final thing on COVID before we move off it there has been a lot of discussion about long COVID and a lot of discussion I was listening to uh, Kieran Shane this morning talking about um, tr- uh, treatment for the neurological aspects of long COVID is enough being invested in the treatment for the legacy of COVID Very, very much so there's two missions now one is to get the universal vaccine by the way I've discussed this before I think with Pat so there's lots of efforts to get a, the, the next-gen vaccines to stop infection and stop severe disease for any coronavirus. Mission two is long COVID because it's so common. One in eight have it. That, that's very clear now. Of those one in eight, some are severely affected by it. So the focus is massive on this scientifically. And the good the good news is on the 26 clinical trials running at the moment to treat long COVID. Now, hopefully one of those is going to work. Can you imagine if a new treatment emerges to stop it? It'd be tremendous. So the effort is massive. because and it's long so COVID can be respiratory, it can be heart, it can be musculature, it can be uh, neurological. That has to the complication. There's probably three or four subgroups within the term long COVID. Some have awful problems concentrating with fatigue. Some have heart problems. So they're going to stratify now and try to get the different categories of long COVID. It's more, it's more than one disease, basically. But again, you can imagine that the doctors and the scientists are looking at this very closely. And uh, if we go back to the, st- the stat that you had about it having cost the US economy $16 trillion, one would imagine they are well-funded to try to find the answer. They, they certainly are, because long COVID means economic harm, because people can't work and so on, you see. So the, the, the motivation to treat it is, goes beyond the health aspect. Luke, thank you so much. That is Professor Luke O'Neill. Now, coming up later on News Talk, we'll be talking about how motorsport may be in danger and we'll be talking the business of data centres. But next... The Pat Kenny Show with Matter Private Network. Weekdays at 9am on News Talk.